Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. What do you think is one of the greatest challenges for moms of kids with disabilities? Well, there are many, but I think one of the top ones is learning to look beyond what our kids can't do and learning to see what they can do and focusing on areas where our kids do excel. Then we can use that to help them grow and develop. We have so many people tell us what our kids can't do, how they're different, and every day we live with and we see those limitations. There is a reality to that. Yet if it's all we ever look at, we will limit what our kids can do and what they can become. Mm, That's so true. I've seen that to be true in so many different situations. Today we get to chat with Andrea Moriarty. She's a mom who has walked this journey. Her kids are now adults, and she has so much wisdom and insight to share with us on how she did this for her son, Reed, who has autism. She has authored two books, One Track Mind, 15 Ways to Amplify Your Child's Special Interest, which is the one you will hear referenced on today's podcast, and Radical Inclusion, What I Learned About Risk, Humility, and Kindness from My Son with Autism. She and Reed also produce a podcast called Talk Time with Reed Moriarty, and I would encourage you to check that out. They have an incredible story, and I look forward to sharing it with you today. Andrea, welcome to the Hope A New Podcast. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Could you take a moment and introduce us to your family? Yes. So my husband, Jim, and I have been married 30, oh boy, uh, <laughs> a long time. 30 plus. I think I should talk this at the ready, but you sort of forget. He says 30 wonderful years. That was a few years ago. So I think we were married in 86. And after we were married about eight years, struggling with infertility, we decided to adopt. And so we adopted twins, Allie and Reed, at birth, and they are now 25. So Reed has autism and Allie is a music therapist. And so they're all grown up and I have hopefully the benefit of hindsight to be sharing now with you. (laughs) That is so neat. Yeah. And I love talking with moms who have walked this journey because we can glean so much from you. And so thank you for sharing with us today. And we will dive right in. In your book, you say that we were created to give and receive love. What's more, we were chosen by God, who is love, to parent and help our children discover their gifts and purpose. You might even redefine who you are at the same time. So I love that quote and that your focus is on the child's giftedness and abilities as well as how this parenting journey has changed you as his mom. So could you share with us some about that? And also, what are some of Reed's gifts? Yes. Well, I think the fact that we adopted our kids puts a different lens on a lot of my understanding of it as God's purpose in our life. I believe that God intervened in their life and literally took them from one place, picked them up and put them in another place, our lap and our home. (laughs) And it's been really a spiritual journey for me of wrestling with that and believing that. And, And I mean, I believe that at the beginning, but as you wrestle with it, 
a lot of things are uncertain, but that always had to be true for me. And so I think that is what has shaped the fact that God intended this. It wasn't an accident. And both my husband and I have no question that these are the kids we were to raise. And so as that rubber meets the road, you realize, okay, these are the ways God wanted to change me through parenting and that this parenting journey is not an accident and that these kids were meant to have life and new life and a hope and a future and that he means to prosper them. You know, it's not like we just got pregnant by accident. (laughs) We had to go really far out of our way to do this and to, to become parents. And so there's just something profound about that, I guess, that gave us a lot of hope in the process. And when they were born, we were so excited to have two, not just one, but two kids that there was like an adrenaline rush that took us for the first (laughs) maybe three, four or five months. We were just so excited to have, have children. People ask me, how'd you do it with twins? I'm like, we were just so excited that that adrenaline rush lasted for a long time. And we just perceived them as gifts from the get-go. And then as, as the world began to tell us, maybe there's an issue here or there's a problem or we, I just kind of had this stubborn refusal to believe that. It's like, no, these are gifts from God. And everybody says children are a blessing. And I mean, it's in the Bible, right? But it's become more than a cliche for us because I was like, I, I refuse to say otherwise. And so anyway, some of Reed's gifts, he has many. And I just like, there's that piece of my wanting to take the Bible literally that is helpful and is a coping mechanism for me. I'm like, nope, God says this and he's made in God's image, both my kids. And so even though they're sinners, right? They also are made in God's image. So all of our kids are going to have gifts, no matter what they, how many things they cannot do or how any of us, how disabled we are or how broken we are, we are made in God's image. So that's where the gifts, that's the source of the gifting, right? So some of Reed's gifts, he's very charismatic. He can change the energy of a room just by walking in it. He has a really big magnanimous personality. He has musical intelligence for sure. He has an incredible memory. He also has a great resilience. Each new morning is a new morning. <laughs> so a great morning. He also has an uncanny ability to just forget the bad and start fresh. He's very resilient and he's very intuitive about people. I can watch him and tell a lot about others. So those are some of those are some of his gifts. I can vouch for that because I've seen that in person. Yeah. I know we were in Kansas City at the <laughs> same time as you all. And every time Reed entered the room, it just, as you said, just changed the dynamics of the room and the whole room just lit up and became a happier place when he was there. And it was it was just neat to see and experience his gifts in action and also be blessed through his his musical abilities. And uh yeah, it's really cool. So I'm just, yeah. I guess I'm just saying yeah. that to say it's that you're not, to... you know, you're not being a proud mom. You're, you, I mean, you have a right to be proud because <laughs> it's actually, I mean, these are all. But it's all true. All true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's hard to know how to describe that, right? So it, it really is best experienced and charisma is sort of the closest thing I can come to describing it. But someone else affirmed Reed and, and told him, 
used that other expression and told him directly, you know, you have a lot of power to change the energy of the room. He was speaking that into him, which is another way to describe charisma. But yeah, he he's just honest and authentic and gregarious. And yeah, he's he's got charisma. <laughs> Neat. Well, another great quote in your book is that the most damaging thing a diagnosis threatens to do is to kill our hope that our child will amount to anything. And you follow that up with a quote from Benjamin Zander, who's the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic and Youth Orchestras. And he writes, In the measurement world, you set a goal and strive for it. In the universe of possibility, you set the context and let life unfold. And I know I've done that in many ways with my son and in his life, although, albeit not perfectly, but that has been kind of an undergirding theme of what we have striven for. And it has been the absolute best thing for him. And so you have walked this journey further and have seen it through more years and through more, like, you can see the fruit of it now. That's what I'm trying to say. So if you could walk mm-hmm. us through some of that, tell us what did it look like for you to do that, to set the context and let life unfold? How long did it take to find Reen's gifts? Was there trial and error along the way? Just help give us moms earlier in the journey a picture of how you did that, what that looks like, what are challenges to expect? Yes. Well... That's a long question, Sarah. And, and so you're going to get a long answer. I have to sort of answer it in parts, I guess. And, you know, expectations are really powerful. And hope, you guys have titled your whole ministry that. So hope is important. And it changes the outcome. It's not just a nice thing to have positive thinking and let's be hopeful it's more than a cliche. It actually changes outcomes. So, and this is what I talk about in that section of the book you're, you're referencing. If we don't expect anything of our kids, they often might not do anything. And I think you see it through their DNA, you know, they're created to want to please us. And so if we don't expect anything, and you see this in different cultures and different environments, you know, it's been proven scientifically that if little is expected, little is the outcome. So I think expect, expectations are really powerful. At the same time, you, have, you can't be so um, specific about the expectation that it's limiting. We think the world of our kids, especially we did because they were gifts from God and we had huge idealistic dreams of parenting and for each of them. And it, that gets whittled away as kids get older. So for me, I remember a friend, I remember being really hurt and angry with a friend who first pointed out my kids, I'll say deficits, but she was a teacher and she picked up on some of Reed's issues. But she burst my bubble basically by saying, you know, you might want to, there might be some issue with speech or you might want to get that checked out. I mean, how dare you, right? <laughs> How dare you? Yes. My toddler isn't all that I am dreaming. I mean, so it's a, there's a tension. We have to let go of our own expectations so that we're able to dream new dreams. 
That's the part of setting a context and letting life unfold. So I can't have a really specific dream for my son that, oh, he's going to look like me and he's going to surf like my husband and he's going to go to Harvard. That would be too specific. (laughs) I'm going to have to let go of that dream to dream another dream. And so for me, it became a study and a research project of investigating what is God's will for these kids, because certainly he has one, he has a purpose and a plan and a future for them. And so my job as the chosen mom for them is going to be to help them discover what that is and watch it unfold and be in touch with their creator to, you know, get hints along the way. But there is an expectation. They weren't born for nothing. And, <laughs> you know, there are great things that God wants to do through them. And so I think that's part of setting the context is they have a purpose and a hope and a future. And my role is to come alongside and help figure that out together and then help them achieve that excellence in, in their own context rather than define what it should be or fight against what God's already ordained. I guess. So for us, what that meant was Reed had a lot of behaviors and a lot of noncompliance, and he was difficult in a classroom setting, certainly, as he got into that age group. And so it was a lot of following his lead. When he was little, you know, there was two paths of intervention for autism. One was ABA and discrete trial, And Greenspan and floor time was just coming into existence. And I kind of waffled between the two and tried to create an eclectic program that incorporated the best of both. Certainly, he needed the structure of of ABA. We needed that to have order, some kind of order in the house. But I always resisted that too because, well, I didn't just resist it. He did. (laughs) (laughs) It became, you know, it created just such a resistant kind of childhood that is not at all what I envisioned family life to be. And so I I had to kind of juggle that. And I loved, what I loved about floor time was to me, it was a picture of Jesus and how he came down, got down on the floor with us, you know, came down in human form to be with us didn't just sit up on high telling us the rules and what to do, but he came down and was among us and played, you know, on the floor, which is what the whole floor time modality is, is to follow the child's lead. But it's a dance. It's a dance to do both of those in some sort of balance. So, but embracing Reed's gift for music and what's become his vocation for music for us was the path of least resistance because music was the only thing he didn't avoid. We had a music therapist from, from early on, you know, he'd avoid speech therapy. He'd avoid OT. He'd certainly avoid ABA. We had a home intervention team, you know, and these various people would come to the house expecting with an agenda, expecting to teach him something. And so, but the music therapist it was just a whole different dynamic. And so that was what we leaned into because it gave him his childhood back. It was pleasurable, innately pleasurable. You didn't have to dole out M&Ms and, you know, sticker charts to get him to do it. 
And so in a sense, you know, that was how we followed his lead. And then it just, it just grew because it worked. He was like a poster child for music therapy. He's literally on the business card of his longtime music therapist, Angela Navy Meyer, you know, her first business years ago when she launched her business, he was on her business card. Fast forward, she just gave birth to twins today. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Which is wild. Read. So she gave him a lot of his first opportunities and the circle's kind of completing now because she gave him a recording session to record his first original, which meant they had to write it. So they wrote Shine together. Then that was so motivating for him. And when when you see your child not just good at something, when 80% of the tasks are difficult, but there's two that are he's good at <laughs> you are like oh I'll do more of that right but not just that there's a skill there's a relative skill but there's also a motivation and it's fun those are the things that we leaned into and did more of so they wrote shine together then they did a color album then he started performing with her for younger preschool children so he became kind of a junior therapist showing empathy and mentoring younger kids, even as a, just a preteen himself, she introduced him to performance, which he loves. And I kind of started to see that as a root of some of his attention seeking behavior. You know, he wants an audience and, <laughs> and it makes so sense. what if we gave him one? <laughs> yeah. So performance was motivating. He loved that his, the rehearsal and role-playing suited his brain. Once he hit the stage, he knew exactly what to do because they had practiced. And so that grew, then it became kind of opened the door to acting and drama and learning social skills through improv. He has an agent in LA. We haven't gotten any big breaks, but he does these self-tape auditions, which each one is a learning process in itself. And he's so motivated to do anything with a mic. That's how the birth of the podcast started. When he finished high school, my husband and I were brainstorming, like, what's he going to do in lieu of leaving for college? Something, got to be something with a mic. And podcasts were new at that point. And, you know, that was the birth of the podcast. And then he, his sixth recorded album just came out. It's slightly country. (laughs) So he has, he's in a band. The band has two albums, but then he has four solo projects. And we've been making videos during quarantine of music videos to go with each one of those original, slightly country songs. So it just sort of built and it built momentum and and grew as we leaned into those things that he was motivated to do. And the fun part of the story with Angela is that, again, we met her when he was five. She came into our home and has had like a weekly music therapy session with him ever since. And he's 25 now. So three years ago, she was married and he sang at her wedding, which was the only wedding he's ever been to. And like I say, she just had twins. So it's an amazing journey of people, the people that God brings into your life too, who hold a really influential place. Yeah. Thank you for sharing some of that story and that journey. I will ask like, how along the way, I know I'm in a stage of my kids being more middle school age and trying to find their place, you know, trying to figure out what might be a good fit for them longer term. Mm -hmm. So as you did this, were there 
Yeah. Share some of that journey with us. Yes. Well, I know we talked earlier about the StrengthsFinder assessment and the premise, we did that as parents before we did it for Reed, but then we began to kind of project some of that language to him. And the, the premise of StrengthsFinder work is that we are who we are and we all have strengths. They, they have 34 themes identified and they tell you your top five or 10. And the idea is that we don't really change over a lifetime. Our top 10 strengths may shuffle and rotate depending on circumstances, but we really should lean into those strengths rather than try to shore up deficits. Because for example, my strengths are empathy, harmony, significance, responsibility, and achiever. Those are, I'm never going to be a strategic (laughs) strategist like my husband is. And so if I were to work really hard, if someone wrote an IEP for me, you know, those kinds of skills, playing chess, developing a strategy, those kind of skills, I'm never going to be good at those. I'm always going to be frustrated. I'm always going to be failing. And it's just probably not even hardwired, you know, for me to be successful in those. So, you know, no matter how I try, and that's been proven by Tom Rast in this, in this assessment, but rather it would be better for me to lean into those empathy, harmony, you know, relational skills where my strengths are, because I'm going to be more successful and accomplish more in that. And yet I need to be paired with someone who complements that. And so my husband has a high strategy. My best girlfriend is also that, (laughs) that strategy. So I've learned that that's a good pool to just accept those things we're good at versus can't do rather than try to change ourselves. So with Reed, well, very early on, his interest in music was identified by a preschool teacher who asked me if I was doing any music therapy. I'm like, I've never heard of it. You know, she gave me a referral and and that began that process. People began to identify that he had perfect pitch, a piano salesman, and then multiple people after that. And as I said, it was kind of, it was most obvious with his behavior, which I believe is communication. So his behavior communicated, this is what I was made to do. So, you know, we started to teach him planets, potty training, math facts, everything through music because it worked. We did do some trial and error along the way. I mean, we've done that in multiple ways. He does other things beside music. You know, he took surf lessons. He took, he does horseback riding, which he likes. He tried a lot of things. I mean, we tried skiing. He does not do that. (laughs) (laughs) Mittens, boots, you know, forget about that. So there, there was trial and error, but I, let's see, I'm trying to put this into something that would, would help you in that middle school age. Well, the other thing that really helps, I mean, let's face it, we have an institutionalized school system (laughs) reality and there are a lot of state standards and things that you just have to do in school that were really difficult for Reed. And so there was a definite freedom that came as he finished high school where we could just chuck the math, basically. 
you know, and say he does not have a diploma. He has a certificate of completion from the high school. And, you know, around in middle school is when they start to prepare you for that transition. And well, are we doing diploma track or not? And when will we switch to just functional skills? And that's a hard time because again, it's letting go of a dream. But for us, it was just extreme enough that it was like, you know what? Now looking back, I can say, oh, what a relief. Don't even worry about it. Get him a calculator. And at 18, right? Reed is a conserved adult. So at 18, we established a conservatorship too, which can be a very emotional process. But for me, I saw it as kind of a practical protection. Like, all right, there's just a lot of stuff he's not going to be able to do or understand about the world. And so we're going to protect him from himself with this conservatorship. And other people are going to make medical decisions and financial decisions. And I guess I can be kind of pragmatic about that. And other days I'm very emotional about it. But there's a freedom that comes from letting go of all the grueling kinds of state standards, I guess, of school. So Reed, Reed's latest song, one of his, on the new album, one of his songs is called Water, Sugar, and Lemons. And it's about his lemonade stand that he did with a songwriting mentor he had for a couple of years. And they set up a lemonade stand at the local school to make a little money and to practice functional math skills, right? So he, he'd make 20 bucks on a Tuesday, come home and count the quarters and money. That's where his math ability is, just to put it in perspective. But I've, I've reached a point of being okay with that. And I guess that happens at about 18. And it's, it's a relief. <laughs> I don't know if that's encouraging. No, it is. In fact, but, I can second that already in our journey where there are things that I pushed so hard to try to get accomplishment in, or a therapist would push so hard to try to get an accomplishment in, and it would cause so much grief and so much frustration on all of our parts. And finally, I'm like, really, is this accomplishing what the real goals are? You know, it might not meet that line item, but what is the the real overarching goal? And as soon as I could let go of that... And just rest in, you know, he's on his own timetable and we will push him to achieve things that he could possibly achieve, but I'm not just going to keep banging my head against this wall. Like we're going to go another way. Exactly. Two stories are coming to mind. We had a therapist, really a diagnostician come into the house and she had a great vehicle for defining emerging skills. And that was a great way of thinking Instead of taking a curriculum and saying, how am I going to teach this impossible stuff to this particular student? It's a much better way to look at the student and say, all right, where are they functioning levels? Where can they go? And then what are their emerging skills that I'm seeing now? And at that time, you know, she was looking at, oh, I think he'd be really good at puzzles. Let's teach him to do that as a recreational activity. I think he was 10 it's better to look at the emerging skill for that particular student than to look at the curriculum and try to force it upon them. The other story that's flashing before my eyes is we had 80 year old ladies that lived across the street from us. And my kids, literally their eighth birthday party, 
Dorothy came across and she was turning 80 when they were eight. So at that point, we were trying to teach Reed to ride a two-wheeler. And I was out there. My husband was out there. We had tutors, multiple tutors running alongside, just convinced that he can ride a two-wheel bike. And there were tantrums. There was screaming. There were, you know, falls. And all the neighbors were hearing this and seeing this. Well, sweet little Dorothy came out. She was a retired, they both were retired teachers who lived together. And one of them taught special ed and one of them taught gifted and talented. <laughs> so they were the perfect neighbors for us. They saw the unique gifts in everyone. They were just lovely, lovely ladies to have as neighbors. But Dorothy came out and she wasn't afraid to exhort me or to kind of challenge. And she said, having observed this, <laughs> basically forcing Reed you are going to ride this two-wheeler. We're sure of it. And she came across the street to the mailbox and put her arm around me and said, why is it so important that he rides that two-wheeler? And I looked at her and I'm like, well, because I know he can. I know he can do it. She said, but there's plenty of time. Why does, you know, why is that so important? And I was, you know, as I look back, it's like, why did it have to happen that day or that month or you know, she said, why don't you just put the training wheels back on and let him enjoy riding his bike? <laughs> and ultimately, I don't remember if I did it right away because he did, a, he can ride a two-wheeler. He's not great at gears, but, <laughs> but you know, that we, we sometimes just have these bees in our bonnet that are unnecessary and we can let go of stuff. So, yeah. And so often there's either a different way to do things or just give it some time. Yeah. Right. It will make the path so much smoother. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Last month, which is when we're recording it, it's this month, it's May 2020. Mm -hmm. But when this airs, it'll be last month. In our online community, we focused on mindset and the power of our thoughts. And in your book, you share how you learn to focus on certain things. And you give a few scriptures and quotes that go along with that, such as Romans 12, 2, and how that calls it renewing the mind. And in 1 Corinthians 10, how we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And Philippians 4, 8, and staying fixed on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and of good repute, rather than on things that are wrong, unfair, hurtful, or depressing. And would you go ahead and share with us some of how you did this and what it changed for you? Okay. I think this has always been important to me. It's probably because of my mom, by example, she did this. But that Philippians verse was our wedding, in our wedding. My husband's sister read that, and it's become kind of prophetic. But I guess for me... This has become a coping strategy to focus on the positive because it's always there. And there's that story of, I heard this in a sermon that there are always vultures and there are always doves and you have to decide which you're going to focus on, right? There's always beauty. There's always evil, or there's, you know, there's tons of metaphors about this, but it's which one you're going to feed, which thoughts you're going to feed in your mind. And I think for those of us with daily challenges that are, what's the word, 
permanent, <laughs> semi-permanent. <laughs> yes. They're ongoing. This is not a season. Ongoing. Yes. Yes. Ongoing, challenging lifestyle. I mean, I think early on, I thought I was going to get ahead of this. You know, when, when Reed was little, it was like, okay, when he's five, he'll be caught up. Or when he's seven, this will get easier. But that's kind of been a myth for us. So this is going to be an ongoing challenge. It's, it's not ever going to be over or easy. And so I don't want to be depressed. And I, so it becomes taking thoughts captive and choosing joy or choosing hope or choosing the optimism because I believe they're both, they're both there. It's just what I'm going to focus on. So, I mean, this gets, this can be graphic and I'm not just, because just yesterday he didn't put his fist, but he, he's very hypersensitive to sounds and we have painters here working and we have loud birds. I don't know. And so anyway, we have, as the painters are patching drywall and painting another, he, was trying to get the birds to stop and he's slamming a door and put another hole in the drywall. I'm like, Oh my gosh, not again. You know, we're, we're thinking we're past this and we're going to get, get our walls all repaired. So it's, that's just a graphic reminder of how ongoing this is. So I can focus on, and my husband and I, you know, go in turns, taking turns letting this get to us or reminding ourselves, reminding each other of what's really important. Right. And like, Oh no, it's expensive. It's a pain. He's X numbers of years old when, you know, you can just go down any number of rabbit holes getting despairing and, and defeated by these realities. Or you can just say, you know what? Yesterday it was my turn. And I said to my husband, well, it was better this week than the week after the painters leave because <laughs> sweet Fernando was here. He patched it right up. He had the mud already mixed, you know, well, that was a good day to do it. <laughs> and it looks beautiful. It dried overnight and you know, we're on our way. So that's over, <laughs> but it becomes a discipline. I, I love the movie Pollyanna, but I don't like to be called a Pollyanna. Right. But there's a beauty to that approach to life of always looking for the positive and playing that if game. Well, you know, what's, what's the good in it? And you can find it. You can always find it if you're looking. And that becomes a coping strategy because then I move on and I become more resilient. I move on from these little, you know, incidents more quickly. I don't know if that yes. makes sense. Yes, <laughs> it totally does. And it, it resonates with me. I've found that to be true in my life as well. But it took me a long time to get there. I think I spent years dwelling on how hard it was and Mm -hmm. how life wasn't what I expected and how I wasn't able to do the things I planned to do until I had the realization that, obviously, that wasn't what God had planned for me to do. He's put this in my life, so this is His plan for me to do. Right. We tend to think it's not fair. When is this going to be over? Why me? And for me, it's been helpful to go through the, those and name them. Okay, that's self-pity. I'm not going to go there. And, and it's not fair. Well, you know, life isn't fair. <laughs> so where did you get the idea that, that, where did I get the idea that my life would be fair? No one's life is fair. And I have lots to be grateful for. 
And you're right, you know, life isn't fair for anyone. So you just, you have, and it's a broken world. So in the end, acknowledging that enables you to just embrace that part of the lane that God put you in and embrace that part of the journey, you know, that's, that's yours. It's really a ride and we don't get to pick. It's God has us in a certain lane and we just are better to acknowledge that he's in charge and enjoy the ride. And these kids, right. That's part I'm getting ahead (laughs) in some of the things, uh, your questions upcoming, but that's what the learning process for me has been to trust God and to say, I'm not in charge, but he is. And so this is what I have. And all I can do is I can do the best with what he has ordained for me in this and just stay in my lane and not compare or wish for something different and to focus on relationship and eternity, right? Focus on the things that are true. And that's why it's important to be in the word or we forget that there's another worldview here (laughs) and that this world's broken, but eternity is coming. And so how are we going to be prepared for that? And what really matters are the relationships. It's not my drywall and it's not my pleasure or what kind of retirement I get or something like that or empty nest or it's really my relationship with God and my relationship with others, starting with my family. Yes. Yeah. Well said. And like you said, you know, if we look for it, we can always find the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely and something positive. And even if we can't see a positive in a particular situation, if we keep looking in retrospect, we can usually find it. And it Mm -hmm. might be way bigger than we ever thought it could be. Right. When we're in the middle of it, it can seem so challenging and hard that we can't see the good, yet looking back, we can see the good that does come out of it. Yeah, and your life is a testament to that. So how has focusing on his gifts affected his life, the lives of your family, and then also the lives of others? Well, I think the the great discrepancy between Reed's gifts and his challenging behaviors gives hope to others, right? I'll start with the lives of others because I think people hear that reality and think, oh, there's hope then for my child. So that's, I think that's a way that he, using his gifts, gives hope to other people because it's not that it's a rosy path, but it's that there are gifts even in the midst of the challenges. Reed's gifts have affected his life by, it gives him self-esteem. He, as a teen, started to say, I'm a musician and claim that as something he was good at. And that's really important for our kids who have these just reams of paperwork as IEPs, (laughs) you know, itemizing their deficits. It's really important to have something you're good at. And I think that that was important to his motivation and getting up in the morning and and just not quitting on, on life. It's also leaning into his gifts and choosing performance as a vocation has introduced him to a lot of mentors who share that same passion with him, whether it's the sound guy at church or someone like Angela, or, I mean, he, he, his shine CD, his worship CD has 15 musicians from nine different churches on it. 
And all those people have become mentors to him as he watches them lead worship or in the recording booth. He has songwriting mentors. He has had, you know, they go there. We have sort of a transient (laughs) population of support people as goes this journey because people go off to grad school, they get married, they have kids. So I'm, I'm making it sound like he has this whole group of people, but they're cumulative. He's had about three song songwriting mentors over the years and they change, but all those people share a passion. And when you put people together with that same giftedness, you just see that they just relate. They don't even need words or language to connect with each other. And so that's certainly affected his life. And those people are I mean, they love him, right? They're people who he feels comfortable with, who he knows love him, who model Christ to him, you know, the ones who, very many of them. He call, they're people he wants to call or FaceTime now during quarantine. So that's a, they've really greatly impacted his life. And honing in on his gifts, you know, has given him this body of work to see and feel proud of. And it's given us a focus for how to continue learning in his life. So when we pick podcast guests now, like he just interviewed this opera singer, you know, they share a love of music and performance. And they, they had a funny interchange about vocal warmups. And he said, I do this one, ha, 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 or this owl, you know, hoo-hoo. And she said, <laughs> I know that one too. You know, so... <laughs> It's a simple, but it's a, it's a definite connection, you know, that they share based on that same passion for singing. And he asked her, do you have any funny warmups you do? And she, she said, I do that same one. And then she, she showed him another one where she plugged her nose and she says, beep, 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 beep. You know? <laughs> so whether the shared passion is music or trains or bottle caps or VHS tapes or, you know, types of trees, I think that that becomes a way to form relationship with others. So that's how it's affected Reed's life. I'm going to jump in and say something that's yeah. standing out to me about your story right now is for all these moms who go to these IEP meetings and hear the, I guess, results of testing or where things are at with their kids and how discouraging that can be and how draining that can be and how it can seem to slam closed doors of hope. And yet I love your story and Reed's story because I've only been in one of those myself. We homeschool, so I've only had one of those where our public school did an assessment on him and I went into one of those meetings. But music wouldn't have shown up on there, at least the one we did. Music wouldn't have been assessed. You know, that's not within the realm. Yet that's where his giftedness is. And that was the key to opening all these doors for him. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I just want to give a spotlight on that for these moms who are basically walking into these meetings and told, yeah, there is no giftedness. There is no area where your child shines. Right. To not get stuck in. It's such a limited assessment. It only assesses a few certain things. There's a whole realm of other things to look at. Right. And a few thoughts on that. You know, most of the people who are speaking and writing those IEPs, they know your child for one year. If I look back 
we've known Angela for 20 years, but most of the people, she really never went to one of his IEP meetings because most of the music therapy we did was, was outside of school. She did a consult at his high school. She, she did smattering of consults over the years, but you know, most of this happened outside of school and those, the people writing the IEPs and determining that whole process, they know your student for a short period of time, one, two years max. And so it's, it's a very limited input and you have to be careful not to give them too much power. So I think it's important to follow your gut as a mom and to take all the professional advice, but don't take it as gospel because it's not. Yes. Yeah, I think it can give us yeah. some some insights into our kids and take it and use it as that and then know your kid and run with with what your mom instinct tells you and right. seeking. The other thing I'd share at this point is that at the end of each chapter in One Track Mind, I have questions which you've you've seen, but they're kind of, you know, questions that apply that chapter to your particular child and I have a friend here in town in a different school district who wrote the answers to those for her son and she typed it up as a document and she took it to her IEP meeting and she shared it with that whole IEP team and she'll do that each year as the team changes. But that becomes a way that I thought that was a great idea and I'm so glad you know, that it was practical in that way. But that shortcuts the process in any given school year for that teacher to get to know your child and to know your perception of them and to focus on the strengths. It also can really change an IEP meeting tone to start talking about strengths rather than, you know, how far behind you are on how many different (laughs) items. So that's so good. I like that refocus. At the beginning of the podcast, we share how we believe there is beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. I can hear those thoughts and beliefs underlying your story as well. It's just amazing to hear your story. Would you share with us how you have seen this in your life? Well, we've touched on this a little bit already. It is a broken world. I mean, we, we see that. I see that in my daily life. We see it in this time of this pandemic, right? But I think we see it now more than ever. But it's in the hard times that this promise of eternity is, has much more clarity to us. And it's clear because we don't have the distraction and the, the distractions of success in a sense, right? When everything's going well and cheery and we're on a honeymoon or whatever kind of great times, we don't see that because we're, it's right in front of us. It's, it's blurring you know, our good times are blurring our vision to the reality, which is that this is a broken world, but it's not forever. And so I guess that helps me to appreciate the beauty in the journey because it's, it's temporary. This isn't forever. My, I have a friend who says, basically, we're on this camping trip, right? And I, you guys maybe camp. We did camp. <laughs> we camped a few times, but we early on determined, you know, we're not really campers. I mean, it can be fun for a night or two, but it's dirty. The food's bad. You know, there's bugs, there's animals. Basically our lives here on earth are a camping trip. It's temporary. We're going to a better place that will be eternal. 
And so there's a certain, once you know that, it changes your perspective. And there's a beauty that comes from slowing down and simplifying. All right, for these two nights, you know, we'll just cook in this one pot in the dirt. (laughs) And so, you know, all of a sudden the camping trip, well, I can have fun with this. And so what? I won't shower. You know, that there's a beauty that comes from slowing down and simplifying and lowering expectations. And then I find that I'm able to see the redemption when I do that. Like God redeems it for me and, and shows me the beauty along the way. Yeah, I love that illustration of the camping. I and, do too. Uh, that's good. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And uh, so true. Well, as we close here today, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so wonderful to chat with you here today. Well, thank you, Jonathan and Sarah. It was fun. I really enjoy sharing with you guys and reconnecting. Well, it was wonderful for us too. And there's so much value in your story. And I know other moms will be able to benefit from it as well. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. 